1: Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mix Club page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Good afternoon, you're listening to Soho Radio. I'm Claire Lynch.
2: I'm Philip Baldwin and this is the Pride Hour.
1: What made you want to do this radio show?
2: June is traditionally Pride Month in the UK, and at this time, in London, we would normally have a full calendar of events ahead of us, culminating in London Pride's famous march. Pride in London is something that I've always looked forward to since moving to the city in my early 20s. This year, London Pride, like most other Pride festivals, nationally and globally, will not be taking place because of the coronavirus pandemic. I had a number of speaking commitments cancelled. For example, last weekend, on Saturday 30th of May, I was supposed to be giving a speech at Grampian Pride on the importance of being a trans ally. Marking Pride continues to be incredibly important for the LGBTQ community. It provides an opportunity to protest. LGBTQ people continue to face discrimination, and Pride allows us to be visible and show solidarity. The freedoms that many LGBTQ people enjoy today in the UK were hard fought for, so Pride allows us to commemorate that struggle and celebrate what we have achieved. I first attended a Pride festival in my late teens, and I can vividly recall the exhilaration, excitement, and acceptance that I felt, which came from being surrounded by so many other LGBTQ people. For this radio show, I'm pleased that we've been able to bring together guests from a range of backgrounds to share their Pride experiences and to highlight issues which they consider to be important for the LGBTQ community. We would like to welcome Michael Cashman onto our Pride show. Michael is an actor, having played the role of Colin Russell in EastEnders. A founding member of Stonewall, a former MEP, sits in the House of Lords as Baron Cashman of Limehouse in the London Borough of Tower Hamlets and has also recently released a memoir.
1: So, Michael, you're known as an ardent campaigner. What was the impact of early Pride LGBTQ rights protests on your life?
3: Oh, it it was phenomenal. I went on my first uh, March, I think it was around about 1979, um, 500 of us uh, uh, with more police to protect us. uh, uh, And we set off from Marble Arch and went down um, Oxford Street. Uh, But the feeling of being together with people that you didn't know, but you felt you had a common purpose, was so invigorating. And as we walked down, uh, down Oxford Street, people were bemused, completely bemused. Some people were shouting at us. And I remember our chants were, two, four, six, eight, is that copper really straight? And the other one was, we're here, we're queer, and we're not going shopping. Except soon as we passed Debenhams, quite a few peeled off. <laughs> but but those early marches um, were so important because they predated the AIDS uh, and uh, HIV pandemic so that there was a community uh, that could build uh, and and coalesce. It was extremely important
2: for me. Can you tell us about the formation of Stonewall and the organization's early years? Well, Stonewall came
3: about really because uh, we lost the battle against something called Section 28. Some lis- listeners might not even know what Section 20, 28 was, it was introduced in uh, 19, uh, Christmas 1987 by the then Conservative government led by Margaret Thatcher. And it was the first anti-LGB law in a 100 years. And the fact that it sought to stop local authorities uh, from doing things specifically for LGB people... Uh, that it used children as an emotional shield that said we were proselytising and we were trying to get into schools. The fact that all of that was bad enough, but the fact that they did it when our community was under attack from AIDS and HIV, when people were living with appalling discrimination and stigma and facing, when they were HIV positive then, facing certain death, the fact that they did it then There was an an enormous reaction from our community. The first march, there were 12,000 people. We marched from the embankment. I I was on EastEnders, and I I deal with this in my memoir, and I got time off to be on that march. Um, And we lost the battle. Section 28 became law. And I remember I I was in in the campaign with Ian McKellen and Lisa Power, Jenny Wilson, and, and quite a few others, wonderful people. Um, And I was new to this. Um, And I said to Ian one Sunday morning at his home, um, I said, you know, we've got to form an organization to make sure another Section 28 never happens again, because we'd won the arguments, but we'd lost the vote. And so carefully, over a year, we pulled people together, we put money together And a year after Section 28 passed, we announced in Limehouse, uh, at Ian's home, the formation of Stonewall. And its remit was to achieve uh, legal equality and social justice for lesbians, gay men and bisexuals. I'm proud, immensely proud to say that it now defends and promotes equality for trans women and trans men. I stand firmly, side by side with them, if they are treated unequally, then I am unequal. So, um, so we've we've come a long way, but we've still got uh, a long way to go. Witness the appalling discrimination and misrepresentation that trans people uh, suffer uh, in this day and age.
1: So, for you, what's the campaigning achievement you're most proud of?
3: Um, actually, you know, it, it's not so much. Uh, uh, a campaigning achievement that I'm most proud of. It, it's this. When I was in the European Parliament, um, we had a Labour government and uh, uh, a young 17-year-old Iranian um, had failed his uh, asylum process. Uh, he was openly gay and he was going to be repatriated to Iran. And I, with a small group of people, um convinced um, the Home Secretary that he should remain. And I think that's the thing I'm proudest of in campaigning terms, that we prevented that young 17-year-old gay Iranian from going back to Iran, where he would have been hung by the neck in a public square until he was dead. To be able to have been a small part of that is to be privileged indeed.
2: Um, You've already touched on trans rights and asylum. Uh, What are the key issues um, from your perspective for the LGBT community in the coming years?
3: I think uh, when we come out of, uh, when we come into a post-COVID world, I I do fear that we will have to defend the rights we have in this country. Um, There will be some arguments put forward that. Burdens should not be placed on service providers or employers about who they employ or who they wish to serve because the economy can't hold it at the moment. That's the way rights are eroded. Coming out of the EU, I'm fearful because we had the Charter of Fundamental Rights. We no longer have that. Um, But the good thing is uh, there is a cross-party agreement on promoting these rights and defending them. We've, we've got to deal with all forms of discrimination because we have to remember uh, LGBT plus people uh, are not just that. We, we, some of us experience discrimination on so many different levels. So we have to be involved in campaigns against Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, to give just two examples. Um, and, and we have to uh, absolutely associate with the discrimination the appalling discrimination that LGBT plus and other people face in countries around the world. Uh, And once we defend them and defend that our rights should travel with us wherever we go, we then recognize the universality of human rights. Let's, you know, let's not pat ourselves on the back too quickly. It took us up until this year to get uh, same-sex marriage introduced In Northern Ireland, it took us up until this year to give women in Northern Ireland the right to choose uh, to have an abortion or not. So we've got to be we've got to look at what's happening in this country, uh, as well as uh, defending and promoting rights in other countries, because the erosion of rights, as I said, happens like a gentle sea lapping at a shore. And before you know it, the whole lot comes tumbling down.
2: You've recently released a memoir entitled One of Them, which I thoroughly recommend. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the book and why you wrote it?
3: Well, I'll tell you this. It's a roller coaster. Um, it's, um, it's the story of my life, the, the, the title. Um, it, it comes from uh, when I was about seven or eight. Um, it was funny. I always knew I was different. I grew up in the East End amazing east end of the 1950s um it was like a different world and uh and the docks were thriving it was an amazing place to be and we lived on this great big council estate and my mum said to me she said come on boy she said dance for your auntie eileen and i loved my auntie eileen because she had this magical way of suddenly not having any teeth in her head and um and, and so they put on a record, and I danced, and I jigged, and they were laughing and clapping, and I heard my mum say, "I think he's one of them and inside, I froze, I thought, oh, no, they know they know i'm different, they know i'm different, and I wanted them to stop laughing and anyway um there's a there's a happy end to that part of the story but i i I wanted to write it because Paul, my late husband uh always used to say, come on, put, put it down. The things you've done, most people would never believe it. And I have led a very checkered life. Um, and when, sadly, he died uh, in 2014, four days before I went into the House of Lords, um, I decided that I had to put my life uh, down on paper with all of its faults and all of the amazing things that have happened to me and, and the abuse that I suffered. But more importantly for me that I had to put down this amazing love affair with a man who was um, 13 years my junior. He was 19 when we met uh, and taught me to become myself. And the book is really, I hope, saying no matter what happens to you in life, if you own what has happened to you, own it all, then you can truly become who you are. Um, It's had some... Wonderful reviews and wonderful reactions. But, but to have written it down, I, I have to tell you, I was coming home along Three Colt Street, near where I was born, and I had the first the book under my arm. And as I passed the street, I looked down and I saw the five-year-old me running down that street. And there I looked at the book, my life within those pages. And I cried and I cried because I've led a life that I could never have imagined. Some of it I didn't want to live, um, but most of it uh, I haven't. And so Bloomsbury, my publishers, gave me the brilliance uh, to be able to put it down. And I'm forever grateful. But, uh, but I warn you, it's a roller coaster.
1: So what was the favourite part of the book for you? And which was the bit that you found the most difficult to write?
3: Um, well, I found, I found all of it difficult to write because you have to let go, um, and, and for someone like me, that's always been difficult, and that comes through in the book. Uh, the stuff I loved writing about was uh, was um, the the early stuff as a kid uh, until the dark period of of abuse uh, came in, and and I think um, one of the wonderful. Uh, period of, of finding the gay clubs and the gay bars in the mid 1960s and seeing this world that opened up in front of you and that you could belong you could belong it was incredible so i loved writing about that and of course i loved writing about paul and i and the difficult relationship that we had and how it grew uh, um and uh, and then our our final days together because it's there it's It's recorded. Ian McKellen said to me, we did an event around the book at the British Library. Uh, uh, And just as as an aside, he said, well, um, you've written the book and so you've given Paul life. Uh, Yeah, that is our life, not somebody else's interpretation. It's ours.
1: We would like to welcome Moussin Mia, LGBTQ activist, finance director for Pride in London, and co-host of the Queer Talk podcast to the Pride Hour.
4: What was the first Pride you attended? So I grew up in Brighton, and um, when I was 17, I went to uh, Brighton Pride with a group of friends. And I didn't have many gay friends at the time. So um, one of my friends, uh, Alex, who's now a drag queen uh, called Lydia Scabies, Um, introduced me to his friends and we went along together and um, it was quite nerve-wracking to be honest um, because I'd just never been in a gay space before Um, being 17 with a Muslim family um, I wasn't really I say out and proud but I did really want to go to Brighton Pride because I'd seen it happen every year um, kind of on the fringes Um, so yeah that would have been my first experience of a Pride event quite young uh, I guess for some people. So what
1: made you want to get involved with London Pride?
4: So I got involved in London Pride because um, I kind of had some more free time um, in my diary. And after doing my accountancy exams and becoming a, you know, a finance uh, guru, I guess. <laughs> and um, I spoke to someone who runs the social media for Pride and they kind of said, uh, kind of tell me what Pride is about. Like, It's run by 120 core volunteers and uh, they could really do with some someone with my skills in finance. And I just thought it was like a no-brainer because I hadn't done much LGBT rights work uh, beforehand. Um, and the more I got involved with Pride, the more I reflected on my own journey um, like throughout childhood. And that kind of gave me more and more energy and passion to um, volunteer uh, more time to Pride and um, to make sure that uh, every year we can have a Pride event Um, So, yeah, that's kind of where my motivation comes from, uh, volunteering for Pride.
2: What is your favourite memory from London Pride over the last few
4: years? So my favourite memory from Pride in London is uh, from last year where I was um, a managing steward. And I got to go to every single area of of, uh, the event and going from Trafalgar Square to um, Golden Square down the parade route. And it was the first time I got to see the entire event, um, and mostly because I had to go and check that everyone was okay. And the uh, thousand we have a thousand volunteers on the day, and uh, it was my job to kind of um, go from each area and check that there was no issues and everyone's happy and everyone's hydrated. Um, but I have to say, last year when we had the family area, it was just it was super cute. It was uh, we had it in St Giles, and it was a new area, and um, it was just nice to see a lot of. Um, Families there, children there, and I think it's really important to have a quiet area at Pride, because not everybody wants to go to the loud, crowded areas like Soho. And to see that um being part of Pride last year and as a new area was so successful. Um that was really like um a nice moment for me last year.
1: So why do you think London Pride is so important?
4: Um I think well, London Pride is important because it's, with Madrid Pride, it's one of the largest Pride events in Europe and uh, it's important to have an event that celebrates uh, LGBTQ diversity in the UK, not only just for people in the UK who travel to London for the event, but also as kind of a, a beacon of hope to other countries. Um, we don't have to go far to see that uh, in places like Poland there's LGBT free zones, as they say. And um, yeah, it's important to keep having Pride events and Pride months um, to keep the movement going and safeguard ourselves. Um, because really, at the end of the day, like our rights that we've fought for over the last few decades, they can be taken away from us at any moment. So it's it's really important to have uh, events like Pride in London.
2: How can people celebrate Pride in London without physically attending any events?
4: Well, I, th- I think it's... Um, I think since lockdown happened, it's, we've all been quite good at um, uh, socializing virtually and using Zoom calls and uh, different video platforms to um, have take the physical event space into the virtual world. And um, Pride in London have launched uh, a calendar this year called Coming Out. And that's supposed to be like a, um, a community board, if you will, or like an events listing of different events that are happening uh, throughout the year, but also during Pride Month. And they're sometimes run by Pride in London, but also by community organisers. And, um, yeah, you can go to the Coming Out website and just see what different events there are that you can be uh, part of and uh, spectate um, and log into uh, during uh, Pride Month. So there's, there's a lot of ways that you can get involved with Pride in London um, with, without actually having a physical event um so i mean i also run a podcast now and like there's loads of lgbt podcasts um uh, so i do queer talk but there's also uh busy being black and queer community um uh, there's a lot of stuff out there so there's no reason to stop being queer and stop being an ally just because pride in london is um not happening as a physical event in june
1: so which activist, past or present, inspires you the most?
4: Oh, I don't think it's really fair to name just one. Um, but I think as, as a uh, South Asian LGBT activist, I'm most inspired by other South Asian and um, DESI activists because I know how hard it is to change, um, change uh, attitudes in the South Asian community, but also change behaviours in queer spaces towards um, people of colour. Uh, for for uh, positive uh, for the positive ways um, so i'm i'm inspired by mostly inspired by people that i've met and uh, people i've worked with so ash kotak the founder of aids memory uk and kakan kureshi founder of birmingham south asian lgbt group there they're um they're activists who have been around for a while and it's great to see um uh, like an older generation of South Asian activists who have made um, movements in these spaces uh, and kind of gives a foundation for a younger generation to build off on, um, to further that movement. Um, so, yeah, I, I get mostly inspired by people that I've, um, I work with because that's how I kind of get my energy um, and keeps me going. Um, but yeah, there are, there are so many amazing LGBTQ activists who work in different, subsections and intersectionalities within our communities. So I, I just, I feel great when I get to see someone who's working in non-binary spaces and um, people working to make PrEP available in England. Like, there are so many different uh, ways to be an activist, I guess, um, within LGBT and like every single person doing that is just, just amazing.
2: What is your advice to LGBTQ people who might be finding the coronavirus situation difficult?
4: I think the hardest thing for me um, during this uh, pandemic and lockdown um, is not being able to see, uh, not being able to see loved ones. And the hardest thing about that is, in your day to day life before the lockdown, kind of had loads of different events to kind of um, keep structure to your life and during lockdown you're kind of you're stuck in stuck at home or you don't have that structure so I think my, my 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 best advice to LGBT people who are finding it difficult is really try to build in a solid routine into your day to day life to um, keep things you know keep keep motivated and keep looking forward to things So try finding those pockets of um, pockets of hope but also pockets of things that make you happy. Um, which may not have been the same things in pre-lockdown life. But um, just find those little things that make you happy to keep you going.
2: We would like to welcome London Live news anchor Anthony Baxter to the
5: show.
1: What was the first Pride Festival you attended?
5: Well, uh, hello. Thank you very much for having me both. Um, And my first Pride Festival was 12 years ago. And I was a bit of a late bloomer. Um, it took me a while to kind of be open and honest with myself um, and to others as to who I was. And I was actually at that event working for the BBC. We were making a documentary about what it meant to come out as a teenager. Um, and we were there following lots of young people who had gone to experience pride in London. And I it kind of dawned on me at that point that perhaps, you know, the... The elephant in the room there was perhaps that the only person who wasn't being honest with themselves at that point was me, Um, and obviously I'd I'd known you know I was gay and I uh, uh, for an awful long time, but it it was something which I kept to myself. And I, I remember that experience having gone there as somebody who was working, but actually ended up being there with that community and and for the first time thinking, you know, there's an awful lot that I need to do here to try and perhaps get my you know ducks in a row, but also for the first time feeling like actually I was part of something bigger than just me on my own coming to terms with who I was so it, w- it was a really kind of special moment and I think I've been back every year since uh, allowing you know that it was on and obviously we're in a situation this year where that's slightly different
2: why do you think pride remains important
5: for the LGBTQ community yeah so I think it I think that you know there's a lot of cliches in this, but I think it is so important because of the visibility that it gives other young people or or people of any age who might be struggling with their own sexuality but also perhaps those who are living in a situation where it's they're not able to be open about who they are for for whatever reason um and I think pride events give those people the strength to know that actually there are others out there who are like them, who associate with them, who, who completely relate to them. Um, and there is a network there um, and there is support there. And I think it it's vital. I think the visibility of pride is the important part, because if you are gay, lesbian, trans, uh, bisexual living in another country where perhaps your freedom and your equality and your rights aren't as, as good as they are here, then I think it's in, so important to be able to see that. But I think it's also important if you're here in the UK, but you're terrified of coming out for whatever reason, that you can see that, you know, there are, you know, huge numbers of people who are out and proud and actually, you know, as, as that cliche is, it, it gets better. You know, it, there, there is hope there. And I think that's why it's important.
1: Well, most Pride events are cancelled this year. Will you be marking Pride at all?
5: yeah and it's it 's so sad isn 't it? because I think it is for many people you know the highlight of the year and you know one of the big big moments in their calendar. I think for me, I imagine no doubt there'll be various online chats as there has been throughout this where we 'll gather with mates and we'll we'll natter about things and you know probably raise a glass but w- what i what I hope we can do as a community is in some way perhaps mark pride this year socially to encourage others. Or, or certainly to provide that hope and that visibility of our community. And, and that's what I will be looking for. Perhaps there is a way that we can all come together on those online platforms to be able to make sure that support is there for those who need it most. So I, I think I'll, I'll perhaps chat about my experiences online um, and perhaps share pictures. But I think that that will be one way in which we can all try and mark Pride this year. And of course, it is a month-long event. And so, you know, there's lots of time to do that.
1: Which LGBTQ people particularly inspire you?
5: Okay, I'm going to be um, uh, greedy and I'm going to go for two. Okay, I'm going to go for somebody who has passed away and somebody who is present, somebody who people might not know and somebody who I'm pretty sure everybody will know. So my first is uh, Bayard Rustin who was an American civil rights campaigner. Um, He was Martin Luther King Jr.'s right-hand man, to some extent, an advisor. Um, He was behind the scenes at that huge march in Washington where where Martin Luther King did the I Have a Dream speech. Um, But he was also openly gay, and he was openly gay at a time where it was illegal to be openly gay, and he was criminalised and put in jail for 50 days because he was caught with a man. Um, uh, but he, at the time, he was also black, and uh, and this added to his his uh, discrimination, but he was so adamant that he had to be open and honest about who he was, because otherwise others wouldn't get the support and the help they needed, And and that, I think, is so brave, and that kind of takes me back to where I was, perhaps, you know, 15 years ago, and perhaps not necessarily that open about who I was. Um, but didn't really have the risks associated to it. So, can you imagine what it would be like to do that uh, and know actually that in society's eyes you were viewed a criminal? Thankfully, uh, just this year he was given a posthumous pardon for um, you know the so-called crimes that he committed. So he is one of my inspirations. The other is RuPaul Charles. Now, obviously, everybody knows RuPaul and, and perhaps Drag Race, but uh, you know, for me, I don't think there is a bigger brand and a bigger program at the moment which is bringing queer culture into the lives of those who perhaps necessarily wouldn't be associated or or around that world and it's making it normal and it's making it accessible but it's also giving young people their belief that actually you can be whoever you want and you will be given love from a community and hopefully from friends and family for whoever you are Uh, so I think RuPaul is an inspiration as well because the work that he has done, um, and the queens around him have done to highlight our community. You know, as is vital, and it's touching homes where it wouldn't necessarily touch.
2: What are your hopes for the LGBTQ community in twenty twenty one?
5: I think, given the year we're having so far this year, uh, my big concern is that there will be a lot of organisations and charities who work with very vulnerable, young, homeless, LGBTQ plus young people. Um, And I worry that they might not be here if we don't support them. So my aim and hope for 2021 is that charities like the Outside Project, which works for homeless, young, LGBT plus people, are still here. Um, And I think... There's a bit of a wake-up call for all of us at the moment and those who can to perhaps do a little bit more to support organisations like that through the crisis that we're, we've you know gone through because without that, there will be more young, vulnerable people perhaps on the streets or perhaps not able to live at home for whatever reason who are at risk and don't have the support network and the support organisations around them to protect them. So that, that is one of my hopes. My other hope, is that in July 2021, we can have double the pride. Um, We can can bring home what we've missed this year um, and mark just how important it is that we are there and back and celebrating once again as as the community and the family that we are.
2: We would like to welcome award-winning actress and singer Nicole Faraday, best known for her regular TV roles on Bad Girls, Casualty, and Amadale.
1: You've long been a staple of British TV screens. Which role did you enjoy the most?
6: Uh, First of all, hi guys, it's lovely to speak with you. What job did I enjoy the most? I have to admit that um, playing snowball Merriman in Bad Girls was like a dream come true for me. Having grown up, um, always wanting to be an actress uh, in the public eye, and Bad Girls at the time was uh, one of the top-rated drama series on television... Um, I hadn't actually really watched it myself, but I was very aware of it. And I was aware of the fact that it had such um, strong female characters within it. Whereas um, up till that point, I'd always played the girlfriend of or, you know, the bimbo on the left, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So I think Bad Girls was my was my first kind of proper breakthrough as an acting role and was just such a fantastic uh, show to be a part of because it had so many strong female uh, characters and role models for people. Um, and told lots of stories from a feminine point of view, which I think was quite unusual at that time because, uh, yeah, it was pretty groundbreaking.
1: So when did you first decide to come out as bi?
6: So I, well, it's funny, really, it was never really a decision. I think I'm very lucky in the fact that I am from a small seaside town and my family are quite old fashioned and traditional, but they're very, very loving and they've always supported me. And when I told them years ago, I mean, that was years and years ago, um, I think when I was first in a, in a relationship, a proper relationship with a woman, which would have been like early noughties, I suppose. Um, so about, I guess around the time I was doing Bad Girls, which is probably another reason why I loved it so much, because I felt like I was among, you know, some of the cast are lesbians and there were lesbian love stories and lesbian storylines within the program so I felt like I kind of had had support in my work if you see what I mean I felt like I would found my people in a way um but uh but yes my family have always been very supportive of me um but I'm uh, you know I'm sure like everyone it is getting better but within small town communities and things you didn't necessarily feel able to be as open as you'd like to be if, if I'm in a relationship with a woman. Um, it's different in London. I've always felt it was very different. All my years living in London, um, people seemed less judgmental in a way. I think far more anything goes. It feels like that there, although I am aware that some poor people still do face horrible prejudice and, you know, those girls on the on the bus last year who got attacked, it's just horrible. Um, but I, I think I kind of, from that point of view, I never actually really came out as being bi. It's just my friends and family just knew that I was in relationships with both men and women. And then it was only, I think, two or three years ago. And um, Diva Magazine, I got to know the people at Diva Magazine through different celebrity events and um, singing at London Pride in Leicester Square, which is amazing, things like that. Um, And they said, um, oh, do you fancy doing an interview with us? And, And I said, yeah, great. And it was it was only then that I thought, oh, wow, actually, this is the first time I am actually in print, kind of openly saying I am bisexual. But it didn't, it, it kind of, it was a bit of a, oh. But it wasn't because I'd hidden it before, if you see what I mean. It's just no one had ever actually asked me about it. And, it, and having done that interview, I was so pleased because I got so many letters and emails from people saying, wow, we had no idea and how nice because uh, we feel like bisexual people are quite underrepresented in the industry. And. Not that many people talk about being bisexual because I I mean I've talked to Philip about this before sometimes being bisexual feels like a bit of a dirty word because it, you get almost just as much prejudice from the um, gay and lesbian uh, community as you do from straight people because they kind of people look look at you with suspicion and think that you ought to choose to be either one thing or another and I just think everyone should be what they want to be and relate to and identify as how they they want to identify without risk of prejudice from, from any community, really. So, so I although I have been openly bisexual to people that knew me and in social circles, I've never sought to hide it. I suppose the first time I actually talked about it publicly was, was my interview with Diva magazine about two or three years ago.
2: What was the first Pride event you attended?
6: The first Pride event I attended? Well, I think because I trained in musical theatre at Guildford School of Acting um and as i said to you i always knew growing up that i was bisexual and that i was attracted to men and women um but i it's stupid to think now but at the time i felt like i didn't know anyone that felt like me and i didn't know anyone gay i didn't know anyone at school that was gay i mean i was at an all girls school and then boarding school and no one kind of was open about being gay or bisexual or whatever else um and when i went to drama school it was amazing it was just like wow, this is incredible. Suddenly, you know, a number of my colleagues at drama school were gay. Um, You know, there were other people like me. There were other girls like me, that kind of stuff. Um, And so I was like, wow, finally, I can celebrate being, you know, feeling how I feel and and being with people that I identify with. Um, And so I think a group of us from Guildford, from drama school, all went to Brighton Pride, I think, in around about... 1995 does that date me too much that ages me doesn't it yeah around about 1995 I think we went to Brighton Pride and I also went to um London Pride but I definitely went to Brighton Pride first and it was an incredible experience I just remember being so happy and feeling so free and looking around and thinking how great that people in at this event in the big park there um, were able to kind of express their feelings for each other and how they feel about people um, so, yes, I think I've been going to Pride ever since.
2: You're usually rushing from project to project, but the entertainment industry has been hit particularly hard by the lockdown. How have you been keeping busy?
6: Well, I um about, ooh, when was it, a week or so before full lockdown was announced. My work started being cancelled, as you can imagine, as an actress and a singer. Um, God, my work is so varied. I'm very lucky. I like the fact that no two days are the same. As you say, I'm always rushing around from place to place. I had um, a concert booked at the Millennium Centre in Cardiff that got cancelled. I had um, oh two different feature films, a short film that I was meant to be doing, various murder mysteries because I work uh, for corporate. Uh, I do various corporate events as well throughout the year when I'm not doing television or film work. Um, all of them, one by one, it was just so depressing. I was thinking, my goodness, how on earth am I going to pay any bills? And also, I, it's, I'm i very lucky that my job is my hobby. And if it wasn't my job, it would be my hobby. So I just miss so much uh, performing and being able to entertain people and being out social. You know, it's a very social social aspect, like on film sets, you work very closely with people, et cetera. So by necessity, all of that work has been cancelled. And goodness only knows when it will be coming back. Um, And then I happened to see an advert actually on Facebook uh, saying uh, from the body shop saying we're looking for at-home body shop sales consultants um, that want to work freelance and self-employed either as a top-up alongside another job or, you know, for me it's instead of my job in total. And I've actually really enjoyed it. So I've set up my own little online body shop business. And yes, it's not what I thought I would be doing, but I've actually really enjoyed it because I like the products. and. I get them at a discount for people, and it means that I don't have to leave my home, so I'm not putting myself or anyone else at risk. And people order through me, but they get sent uh, their stuff directly from from the body shop warehouse, so it means that it's not it means that it's not um, going through um, too many people's hands, as it were. So so I've done that. So I've set up my own uh, body shop business, which is the Mermaid Bath and Body Spa Boutique on Facebook. If anyone wants to look it up they want to order anything um so I've done that and I've also luckily um kind of I'm getting a bit better at technology although I'm a bit of a technophobe and I've um I've got some teaching uh for some drama school students coming up via zoom which should be interesting later this week teaching them television workshop camera technique and stuff and um a few voiceover bits of work coming up at the end of the month and hopefully fingers crossed um once lockdown is once it's kind of clearer, because I think everyone feels it's a bit clear as mud at the moment, but once it's clearer with the rules on lockdown, um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to re- reschedule some of the, the work that I've had to cancel, like the feature films, etc. because I'm itching to get back on set.
2: <laughs> we would like to welcome veterinarian and TV presenter James Greenwood to the Pride Hour.
1: So James, to start, what's your favourite Pride memory?
0: hello um well first of all thank you so much for having me here this is this is i feel very honored to be to be with you guys thank you so much um i think i mean pride is just so huge it's so important to all of us isn't it i think to try and pick one memory is incredibly difficult but i haven't actually done that many prides we've we've i've done bristol and cardiff and brighton um, but i live in bristol just outside bristol and i think there's nothing better than a home turf home soil pride is there so for me i think it's the bristol memories we we, our pride isn't massive um but it's really friendly it's really family focused it's very inclusive um and i just i love it every year we try and make sure that we go and support it um and i've made friends you know that we've kept in touch with over the last years just because it's just that community feel so I'm just going to put a blanket, a blanket favourite over all of Bristol Pride. They're, they are my highlight.
2: You've you've partly touched on this, but why do you think Pride is important for the LGBTQ community?
0: Um, I think... It, it, I mean, it is so important, isn't it? I think I think it's about visibility. To be honest, I think there's there's all sorts of ways you can look at. There's so many different avenues that you can explore to sort of look at why it's so important. But I think fundamentally, for me, it's just about being visible and being. It's that it's that thing of you know you can't be what you can't see. And I think pride is is that em, 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 you know embodied. It's it's about um, giving visibility. It's about being sort of open and honest and pride you know pride in ourselves solidarity together uh, but i think as well it, it it offers hope i think it's it's a visible sign that for people that maybe are stuck in a place where they aren't truly themselves or, or they feel unhappy you know that they can see that there is a whole family out there um and i think that gives people hope as well so i think it is important and i and i and i do wholeheartedly you know feel that we should we should strive to always make sure we are, you know, able to celebrate pride and, and have our have our, our time there.
1: Well thinking about that, with most pride events cancelled this year, will you be marking pride in any form?
0: Yeah so I've um I've done I've done a couple of things already so we've done um I did a a, a Digifest 2020 with mermaids which is the the trans youth charity helping trans youth and their, and their families um which was great and I was very very pleased to be involved um, with those and I did my 2.6 challenge as well I was making dog bowls so as well as being a vet I I do pottery on the side um and I tried to make as many dog bowls as I could in 26 minutes and then, and then gave those away again for, for mermaids. But I'm also supporting uh, virtual pride at the end of May. Um, so, you know, anything that I can to just put it out there online and, and show that we are still very much here and present, I think is, is brilliant. And, and this, you know, the pride hour, all of these little things, I think they all add up and make a huge difference to the people that are, are tuning in.
2: Um, you referenced mermaids who do a lot of work with trans youth. Um, what is the LGBTQ rights issue most important to you?
0: I mean, again, it's, there's, it's such a huge question, isn't it? We, for me, so I'm, I'm an ambassador for a, a, a. It's a veterinary charity called Street Vet, um, and they look after the, the homeless pets basically so dogs and, and cats or well not many cats but essentially homeless people and their pets as an outreach service to provide free veterinary care and i think homelessness is something that um again affects our community massively i went to the i've, I've sort of been involved a little bit with the you know, albert Kennedy trust and some of their stats about you know the, the number of i think it's nearly a quarter of people that are homeless at the moment identify as lgbtq um and I think that, that there's a huge issue. You know, I think homelessness is, is such a complicated area. Um, but for those that are homeless due to their identity, I think is is shocking. And I, and, I, and it, it does, it, it quite literally breaks my heart that, that we're in a position still where people are being thrown out of their family homes due to their, you know, due to their identity, you know, how they identify. And I think that for me is something that I, is very close to my heart. And I just think, you know, it's, it, we, Anything to do to support that, I think, is 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 amazing.
1: Well, carrying on from that, what what impact do you think the lockdown has had on the LGBTQ community?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, when I um, when lockdown came in, I think I you know, as most people have done, I had that awful kind of you go through the range of emotions, don't you, from the the fear, the panic, the anxiety through to kind of the, the more kind of acceptance. I think I went through kind of grieving and now I think I'm kind of into an acceptance phase. Um, but I think in terms of impact on our community, I think when, when, it was when the schools closed that I heard a report saying, you know, about how so many children are now going to be trapped in, in homes, um, you know, potentially under, under abusive situations and, and what have you. And I think, and that kind of, that, that goes across society generally, doesn't it? You know, man woman child cis trans however you want to do it, you know but you identify with your own community maybe slightly more so and i I think that's something that i feel um is a huge challenge for people that are locked down in in either homophobic transphobic or or just unfavorable or hostile environments must be so so difficult right now Um, i think but then on the flip side of that you know the impact i think as as a community i think we are we're quite a resilient bunch, I'd like to think, you know, we, we've all been through, majority of us been through challenges. And, and I think, um, you know, we, we embrace technology, we embrace social media and, and communicating uh, with each other um, in different ways and what have you, because for some people, that's the only way to reach out to your own community through, you know, social media or, or, or apps and things. So I think I'm hoping that we, we are built on strong stuff that we will be able to come through it um together and i think that's something that's been thrown around a lot isn't it at the moment this kind of thing of everybody's in this together but i think us especially you know we are definitely in this together and and, and i'm sure we can support each other through it many of our
2: listeners will know you from tv including as a on the cbbc program the pets factor what would your advice be to any young people Particularly those who are LGBTQ, who would like to become
0: vets. Oh, just do it! Is my honest answer. Um, I, honestly, I know people say this, but if I can do it, literally anybody can do it. I think when I when I sort of started wanting to become wanted to become a vet, um, there wasn't a huge amount of visibility. I didn't know any gay vets. I I only had one sort of role model growing up, which was my art teacher at school, who was openly gay. Um, and I think. And I went through all of those thoughts of thinking, you know, oh, I can't be a vet because I can't go on farms if I'm gay, or I can't be this, I can't be that because I'm gay, la 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 But actually it's 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 not the case at all. And, and you know, that was 20 well 25 odd years ago now. And I think these days we've, you know, we've come so far in so many ways. Yes, we're a public facing industry, so there are still issues um, you know, in terms of words, you're hearing the consulting room and things like that. The support is very much there. It's a caring industry. Um, and one of my, one of my really good friends actually a while back set up a, the uh, British vets LGBT society. So at London pride, we realized that there wasn't any representation from vets there at all. And a lot of people sort of said, Oh, that's because, you know, there's not a problem, but again, it goes back to that visibility thing and, and showing that young people, um, you know, that we are here and that we are very much a part of the fabric of society. And you, you, if you want to become a vet and you identify however you identify, the profession will welcome you and, and I for one will vouch for that. And, and it's, and it's a brilliant profession. I'm so proud of it. I love, our, I love being a vet. Um, and just whatever you do, don't let your, um, all your own sort of assumptions on what you can and can't do, let you stop following your dreams because you can do it.
1: I know you're involved in a lot of different exciting projects. Would you like to tell our listeners about a few that you have coming up?
0: Uh, yeah, well, so we're currently still, I, well, bizarrely enough, we are still managing to film Pets Factor, uh, season seven and eight, which is really exciting. So I'm sort of self-filming a load of our uh, stories at the moment on my phone, which I, you know, hopefully will be edited to, to be very sort of good in the end. Um, and uh, I'm doing a lot of writing work. I'm also thinking, trying to launch a podcast, which is that's a bit of an exclusive there. So I haven't told anyone about be out this yet, but I'm hoping if I can get it o- over the line to, uh, to launch that quite soon as well.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us, James.
0: Thank you so much.
2: It's been a privilege to hear from Michael, Mufsin, Anthony, Nicole and James. And I would like to thank them for taking part in the show. They have highlighted many issues. I am going to conclude by reiterating that it is now more important than ever that the LGBTQ community and our allies make it clear that we stand in solidarity with our trans siblings. Trans rights are human rights.
1: This programme will be available to listen again on mixcloud.com forward slash Soho Radio.